Hello and welcome to the Sound of History podcast. My name is Nick. My name is Tequila Mika. Her name is Mika. <laughs> this is a music history podcast <laughs> where I attempt to teach music history to my wife. Yep. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this is your this is your few minutes to shine. Anything you want to plug? Um, I did think about this earlier. I want to plug FaceTime dates with friends. Okay. Gotta stay connected. Yeah, it's a good one. Anything that they should do on these FaceTime dates? Just be real. <laughs> so cliche, but <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> just be no, no, no. Here, so here. Wait, cheesy. no, 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 no. Wait, no. Do I want to hear this? Yes. One? All right. <laughs> just be authentic. Be oh. your authentic self. Oh no, I don't. Transparent. Vulnerable. Okay. (laughs) Well, all right. So that's her plug. She has free time to talk about whatever she wants, and she chooses to tell you to go on FaceTime dates and be authentic. Okay, no, but like actually, that's that's what. No, no, that's a good one. Listen, (laughs) listen here. Don't try and make this into to more cheesy than it is. I think it's important for people to not isolate themselves yeah all together so go out and have parties i will kill them (laughs) no (laughs) that was a little (laughs) extreme right there (laughs) have facetime parties yeah facetime parties okay now on to the music history the point of the podcast i'm ready well, first, follow us on social media. Yeah. Twitter.com slash Sound of History Podcast underscore and Facebook.com slash Sound of History. And then, like, give us a review, a rating, a comment, or whatever you want on. D- can you do that on Spotify? I don't use Spotify to listen to podcasts. I do, but I've never tried to rate anyone on there. Whatever. What? You a hypocrite. You can't tell people to rate us. I'm saying to do that on app. I own. I've done that, that on Apple. To. I haven't done it on Spotify. I don't know if you can. But if you can, do it on there. Wow. <laughs> anyway, so the past couple of weeks, well, last week we talked about, who did we talk about? It was the bonus episode. I knew that. Okay. Didn't it seem like Military you dude. Yes, the American Mil- March Military King. Military marching band. Yes, John band. Philip Sousa. And before that, we talked about the blues in... Robert Johnson. I'm not going to like quiz you on that because, you know, I don't. It's been a long time. It has, and I don't expect you to remember it. I remembered things. Okay. Today, we're finally getting into probably one of the biggest topics in American music history. Yay. Uh, We've covered a lot up until now, but today's episode is one of the most important musical genres we've discussed so far. It took America by storm, and it skyrocketed to the center of culture and changed the landscape of music in the country. And then gave us La La Land. (laughs) Sure, yes. A long time in the future. It's almost impossible to come up with a completely encompassing description of jazz. It has gone through several phases, and by its very nature, is ever-changing and improvisational. So, before we kind of explain it more, I want to hear in your own words, what is jazz? Color. Syncope. Syncope? Yeah. I don't know. What is syncope? Rhythm. Okay. Syncopation. Color. Okay. Rhythm. 
trumpets. <laughs> Colorful trumpets that play a rhythm. No, hold on. We're okay. still coming up with them. Those, All right, we're still getting hot there. Hot words, those keywords. I almost said soul, but that's that's a different genre. Yes, that is a different genre. There is another S word. That's a big S word. Swing. Yes. I like swing. Yep. That's kind of like a sub sub genre. No, jazz is supposed to have swing. That's its swing. thing. Which Don't we'll talk about in a, a second. Okay, no, that's good enough. We'll stop you there <laughs> before you get too carried away. It was based largely on ragtime, borrowing the syncopated rhythm and the syncope. blues. Syncope. I don't know if syncope is a word. It is a word. Syncopate. Syncopation. Syncope is a syncopated. Word. Syncope is the noun. Are you sure about that? Yes. I'm Googling this. Do it. I'm right. Syncope Inc. is a film studio in England. That's all we Maybe have. Maybe that's just the biggest thing that Google wants to tell you about. Nope. Syncope <laughs> is a word. Syncope. No. Hey, Siri. Because syncopation is, is the word? noun. Dang, you might be right. Yeah, syncopation's the noun. Anyway, jazz borrowed the syncopated rhythm from ragtime, and it kind of blended it with the, the energy and the vibe of the blues. It was high energy and had a thing called swing, which is almost impossible to describe. But you know it when you hear it, because it makes you want to dance. That's essentially the definition. The jazz... <laughs> The Jazz in America glossary defines it as, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm looking for, I asked Siri if syncope was a word, and it told me about input interpretation. So, that's another reason why I hate Siri. It's not a word. Okay. The Jazz in America glossary defines swing as, quote, when an individual player or ensemble performs in such a rhythmically coordinated way as to command a visceral response from the listener, to cause feet to tap and heads to nod, an irresistible gravitational buoyancy that defies mere verbal definition. That was so cute. <laughs> Someone got so, like, their heart and soul is in that definition. <laughs> yes. I mean, the heart and soul of jazz is swing, so it makes sense. Jazz in the earliest days came from New Orleans, which was a city with far more racial equality and racial diversity than the rest of the American South in the 1800s. Jazz grew out of a sort of like hodgepodge of music that was happening in the city at the time. People would blend West African musical traditions with European harmonic structures. At the end of the Civil War, there were plenty of military instruments available at pawn shops, so like the brass instruments and the drums and stuff. So musicians started to rely heavily on them. In the 1880s, brass bands were very popular in New Orleans and the rest of the country, but primarily New Orleans. They were basically just bands consisting entirely of brass instruments and a percussion section. Excelsior and Onward were two really popular New Orleans brass bands at the time. That is a name. Yes. Excelsior. Well, that's two names. Excelsior is one, and then Onward Excelsior. is the other one. Yeah. They consisted of formally trained musicians reading complex scores for concerts, parades, and dances. I have a question. Okay. Why is Excelsior a word and syncope is not? <laughs> I mean, Excelsior is King Arthur's sword. So I don't know That's if it's... That's Excalibur. Oh, it is. You're right. What is Excelsior? I'm then? telling you, I know <laughs> things. Syncope is a word. It's not a word. <laughs> I'm looking at what Excelsior means. 
in, indicates superior quality. Wow. So like excellent. I like that. Let's integrate that into like <laughs> daily vocabulary. All right. I'm down. Word of the day. Syncope. I tried to find like a YouTube video of Excelsior, but I guess they didn't make any recordings since there wasn't recorded music when they were playing. So it makes okay. sense. There is apparently an Excelsior jazz band in Ontario, but oh. it's not the same one. Darn. There's an interesting connection between early jazz and funerals. Because huh? back then, and I think it's still kind of happening, but back then primarily, there were these things called mutual aid and benevolent societies. Newly emancipated African Americans had very little money and almost no access to health care. These societies would help African Americans bury their dead, which was something difficult to do with no money. New Orleans had a sort of unique approach to funerals. This is the part that I think is still happening. They would have a funeral procession that the whole neighborhood would join in on. The brass bands would play at these, and there would be dancing and a celebration of life that wound through streets and neighborhoods. That's wonderful. Yeah, so funeral processions basically just turned into mini parades. I love that. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. These what a parade. <laughs> but, like, for everyone else to enjoy, not to, like, <laughs> honor me... Like sure. Came out so you long. and your vocabulary knowledge. Yes. These funeral processions, street parades, brass bands, and slave folk songs formed the basis of the earliest jazz. By the turn of the century, New Orleans became very successful, both as a city for trade and because it was a port city, and as a city for entertainment. It is? Yeah, it's on the Gulf of Mexico. It contained many top-class vaudeville theaters as well as several publishing houses. It also held its fair share of more risque entertainment. In the Red Light District near Canal Street, there were almost nightly dances and a lot of street parades. It became known as a city for dancing and hugely popular brass bands that arose out of the city were also known as dance bands. I like it. So that's the soil, like that's the context, the background out of which soil. jazz was born. What? I'm just making fun of you. <laughs> Why? That's perfectly it's legitimate cute. analogy. It's just cute. But deciding when jazz was an official genre in its own right is a bit harder, since it kind of like grew out of all of this. As is common with most genres that were born organically from a culture, which I think is like all of them, we don't know the first people to play it, or what they called it, or anything like that. We know the first time certain things happened, like the first time a piece of music called jazz was published or the first time it was recorded, etc. But all of that came along like well after the style had already been created and was being played. Okay, so just a just a warning for our audience here. What? A few parts of this episode from here on out have some adult themes in them. Oh, wow. Not a lot. Are we increasing our rating? No. Not a lot. Just Wait, we have a rating? No. <laughs> but I mean, we're not... <laughs> you were so serious about it. Well, we I mean, like, you have that little, like, E, that explicit E, if you're an explicit podcast, which we're not, and this will not get us anywhere close to that. <laughs> <laughs> There's just a few, a few adult themes in it. Not a lot, but enough for me to feel like I have to, like, give that warning. Wow. We don't even know where the word jazz came from. It's probably based on a slang word, jasm which meant, like, energy or, like, spunk. Jasm was mostly, was most likely a variation on the word jism, which is another slang word that meant semen. I was, I was <laughs> thinking that, yep, I knew what yep. that was. 
which makes sense because it's kind of like life and energy, whatever. Energy, though? To me, those are two... Okay, we're not gonna Opposite. we're not gonna get into that. <laughs> I want to steer clear of that <laughs> that E rating. <laughs> e is for everyone. <laughs> or Jasm could have been short for Jasmine, which was what the street with all the brothels in New Orleans smelled like, and that was where jazz was being played at the I time. I don't know if I believe that. I feel like it might have smelled. Not as nice and flowery. No, but I mean, there was probably a whole lot of perfume that was jasmine-based to try and cover up the not as great smells that were happening and <laughs> lure people into these brothels. Jazz was born out of these brothels, nightclubs, and saloons of New Orleans. So, I mean, it could make sense if that is what they smelled like. Yeah. Eventually, jasm morphed into jazz, J-A-S-S, which, according to some, was a slang word for a woman's backside. All right. Apparently, some people had a hard time saying that word in front of ladies because of its <laughs> risque etymology. <laughs> so they changed it to jazz, J-A-Z-Z. <laughs> no, 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 no. Mom, I didn't say <laughs> hell. I said heel. <laughs> or another reason they might have changed it. Venue promoters were tired of having the J scratched off of their flyers. So they changed it. Because it was J-A-S-S. <laughs> so they changed it to J-A-Z-Z. I'm sorry. If Jazz and Ass meant the same thing, then what's it matter? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the cause, Jazz became Jazz. Several people claim to have invented Jazz, which is typical of the larger, more important genres. Nick LaRocca, who was a member of the original Dixieland Jazz Band, who we'll talk about a little bit later, was adamant that he invented it himself. But he turned pretty racist and started claiming that white people developed and created jazz music and African-Americans stole it, which is like the complete opposite of what really happened. Right, yeah, but you can get away with that if you're white. You can just you well, can just say stuff. I th well, yeah, but we'll find out he didn't get away with it. Heck yeah! <laughs> but I feel pretty comfortable discounting him, but he and his band did play a major role in the development and popularization of jazz, for better or worse. And we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to what they did. But I feel comfortable discounting anyone that says that I am the sole <laughs> creator of this musical yes. genre. Like, yeah. no, you're not. <laughs> like, no, if you actually know enough about, like, music, then you would be like, oh, yeah, I guess I was pretty big. Like, oh, no, no. But, like, I am, I alone am the father of this. <laughs> I am God of jazz. <laughs> Bow yeah. down. <laughs> and Nick LaRocca is an is a interesting guy, and we'll talk more about him towards the end of the episode. Okay. The person most commonly attributed with the birth of Jass is Jelly Roll Morton. I don't like calling it Jass. That's what it's called right at this point, I though. I don't like it. But wait, this dude's name is Jelly Roll? Jelly Roll Morton. Nice. His real name oh boy, was Ferdinand Joseph Lamenth Morton. I get the <laughs> Jelly Roll. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. Wait, what's the name? Ferdinand Joseph Lamenth Morton. Ferdinand Joseph Lamenth is my father. <laughs> I'm Jelly Roll. <laughs> so good old Jelly Roll, Ferdinand Joseph Lamenth, was born between 1885 and 1890 in New Orleans. His father, named E.P., was a Creole. No, what did that stand for? I don't know. Darn. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're gonna name Probably it. Edward. 
Yeah. Okay. Okay. Or Edwin. Yeah. Eduardo. No. Edwin. Pensive. <laughs> Edwin Pensive. Yeah. I mean, okay, maybe. I tried to look it up, but Google's not working, so that'll be a correct corner, maybe. As well as when we finally do say that inconvenience. <laughs> <laughs> what? Who said that? <laughs> Ajax? <laughs> anyway, he was a trombonist who encouraged his son's musical ability. Aww. Someone that's actually encouraging their child to pursue music instead of saying it's of the devil? Yep. I'm going to just let you bask in this feeling you have towards this man right now oh before no. I say the next sentence. <laughs> on me. <laughs> but his father also abandoned his mom, so they spent most of Ferdinand's childhood wandering the south. <laughs> Ferdinand, also known as Jelly Roll, learned to play the harmonica at the age of five, and then learned piano, trombone, violin, and the drums before he became a teenager. Is harmonica hard to, like, learn? I feel like you just It's hard to play like well. <laughs> and then you eventually figure out what sounds good, and then you're like, oh, cool, I'm gonna do that again. It's hard to play really well. Like, there are really good harmonica players. Yeah. I know but I'm not good, but I'm just... And then there are, like, anyone can play a harmonica. It's like the drums. Anyone can do it, but Ooh, it takes a special talent I to do it well. Do you can hit a drum and make noises. I can do a beat. Bump. There bump, you go. Bump, 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 <laughs> you can play bump, the drums, bump. just not well. That's the same with the harmonica. Can I also just say how brave this father was to hand his five-year-old son <laughs> a harmonica? <laughs> yeah. And then before he was a teenager, he also had a piano, trombone, violin. Trombone, yeah, violin he had a lot. sounds bad. Yep. You I can't imagine remember, a trombone sounds great. I played the violin. I do. You didn't. <laughs> it did not sound good. <laughs> you had when a I violin. When I first started, it sounded really bad. <laughs> <laughs> did it sound good when you were done? Yes, because I stopped <laughs> playing. The you sweet just sound said that of like, silence. You just said that like when I first started as if it got better. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to make myself sound cool. Okay. So eventually Ferdinand's father disappeared and Jelly Roll. Oh, wait, he just abandoned someone? <laughs> yeah, weird, right? What? He abandoned his son <laughs> after abandoning his wife? Yeah. What? EP is just out of the picture. And Jelly Roll went to live with his mother and stepfather until his mother died when he was 14. It was it was then while he was living with his grandmother that he started playing in brothels, gambling dens and anywhere that would let him. And he earned the name Jelly Roll, which was slang for female genitalia. why i had to give a warning <laughs> so he made something like twenty dollars a night while he was doing this playing in these places that's which probably a lot yeah right? back then it's good and especially for his family that wasn't exactly rich he told his grandmother who was an avid churchgoer oh no that he was a night watchman at a barrel factory Yes, uh, my name is Ferdinand, and I'm, I'm just, <laughs> yep, I'm just your average night watchman, just, you know, saving the community from crime and, and, well, and the, those horrible... Saving the barrels from crime. Yeah. He's at a barrel factory, not just in the streets. Just protecting them barrels. 
from all those evil people out there, those people who just talk so crass, I could never. <laughs> Eventually. Her name's Ferdinand. <laughs> Eventually, his grandmother found out what he was doing. Oh, shoot. And disowned him. <laughs> he also got a whooping. Yes. <laughs> According to Jell- Jelly Roll, quote, when my grandma- grandmother found out that I was playing jazz in one of the sporting houses, which is what they call brothels. A sporting house. Yes. The the old gentleman's club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's probably where it came from. When my grandmother found out that I was playing jazz in one of the sporting houses in the district, she told me that I had disgraced the family and forbade me to live in the house. She told me that devil music would surely bring about my downfall, but I just couldn't put it behind me. See, I don't understand why they're zoning in on the music here. <laughs> I think it's well, with all of its associated. Are we not just going to talk about, you know, like where he's at, what's happening there and all that? But no, it's No, the it's music. the fact that he's playing music. It's the music for sure. <laughs> Jelly Roll adopted the last name Morton to spare his family the association with him. Yeah. I just feel like he's just like a poor, disgraced little orphan puppy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, named Jelly Roll. Mm. <laughs> All right, here we go. You ready for this part? I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> there, were, there are legends that say that Jelly Roll developed the early rhythm of jazz by watching through a peephole while prostitutes did their business. He would time his music nice. with their actions, and that created the swing of jazz music. Don't know whether or not that's that. true, but that's <laughs> a legend. <laughs> After being kicked out of his family home around 1904, Jelly Roll spent some time traveling the South, playing in gambling dens, brothels, bars, the kind of places he's used to. He also spent time doing a bunch of other things for money. He was a gambler, pool player, vaudeville comedian, and even, at one point, a pimp. But music always had his heart, and he always went back to it. It was during this period of touring the South that he wrote and published several early ragtime and jazz songs, like King Porter Stomp. From 1917 to 1922, he lived and played in Los Angeles. During this period, Jelly Roll had really no competitors when it came to playing the piano. He was considered, like, the best in the country at it. In 1922, he moved to Chicago for the next six years, which is where he saw his most success. This was when, where he first started putting out recordings and introduced wider audiences to his unusual piano style. He attracted legendary backing band members who became now known as Jelly Roll Morton and his Red Hot Peppers, and they became a huge success. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yes. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Didn't get their name from them, but there's a lot, like during this time, there's a lot of like, and like Louis Armstrong and his Hot Five or something, there's like a lot of hot pepper-based names, so the Red Hot Chili Peppers just kind of stole their name from that. Why? I don't know. To go with the New Orleans Spice? I don't know. Okay. With the center of jazz shifting to New York, Jelly Roll moved to Manhattan in 1928 to record new music. And this is getting, like, 1928, this is beyond the scope of what we're talking about. I'm just kind of, like, wrapping up Jelly Roll's life since we're not really going to talk about it beyond this. It's said that his constant bragging, saying that he was the creator of jazz and whatnot, hurt his career. (laughs) Also, he was a pain to work with. He wasn't able to attract the same level of players as he had in Chicago, and his New York recordings aren't nearly as popular or good. So people just kind of got sick of old Jelly Roll. I don't want you to say the phrase old Jelly Roll. (laughs) Can we just not do that? All right. (laughs) As the Great Depression hit, old Jelly Roll faded. Stop it! (laughs) (laughs) Jelly Roll faded into obscurity. (laughs) 
His music was considered old-fashioned, and he was not the kind of person to be okay as a side player supporting another musician. During the swing era, King Porter Stomp became one of the most popular songs. Remember, that's a song he wrote way back when, like 1918. Mm-hmm. And the swing era is like the 40s, so this is well after it. But very few people knew or cared that he was the one who wrote it. Eventually, Jelly Roll found himself in D.C. managing and being the resident player at a dive bar where the patients didn't really know about his contribution to music or care all that much. One night, a friend of the bar's owner stabbed him in the head and chest. As one does yeah. to annoying people. A nearby whites-only hospital refused to treat him, and by the oh time guys. he got to the black hospital, his wounds were too bad. <laughs> he would never fully recover from those wounds and like for the rest of his life he was often really ill and he had a lot of like upper respiratory issues and asthma after that i'm just mad now hey can we go back to what i'm plugging <laughs> <laughs> he died at the age of 50 in 1941 a few years before the great new orleans jazz revival which would have seen him return to his former glory it is said that he alienated so many people during his career that no one came to his funeral that sounds right. You remember when I was talking about how, like, no one should be like, oh, yeah, I'm the father of yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Especially, like, making such a huge deal about it that people don't want to work with you. Yeah, maybe that's stupid. I don't really know if Jelly Roll really created jazz. I don't think he did. But he was definitely part of its creation. He did more than probably anyone to loosen ragtime and blend it into jazz. His song, published in 1915, Jelly Roll Blues, was the first jazz song published in print. If he wasn't so cocky and arrogant, he would probably be better known for his contribution to jazz. People just kind of blacklisted him. Here is Jelly Roll Morton playing Jelly Roll Blues. He probably didn't think much about the name when he was 18 playing in brothels. And then... Then, yeah, then it was then it stuck, and then he became popular. And well, <laughs> this is my name. That's very comical, honestly. I like it. That's Jelly Roll Morton. I like how it says by Ferd Morton on the print yeah, of that. Ferdinand Morton. Because uh, when you're printing music, maybe you don't want to you don't want to use like <laughs> slang for yeah. The publishers probably didn't want that. Like it's like oh yeah, I guess we can just revert <laughs> back to Ferdinand. Yeah. So that was just like a little aside to tell the story of Jelly Roll. But now we're going to go back to New Orleans to talk about the earlier days of jazz and how it was born. There was a guy named Papa Jack Lane who was a drummer and a band leader who was known for training most of the top jazz acts to come out of New Orleans. Papa Jack's band was very diverse. Even after segregation laws were passed, Jack continued to hire African Americans illegally and would just say that they were Cuban or Mexican if anyone asked about it. I love him. Yeah, he's a good guy. Jack would also turn his home into a dormitory to ensure his players were ready for early parades or if they just kind of needed a place to stay. I love him. <laughs> his band consisted of people who could read music and people who faked it, which made it the perfect blend of the old school brass bands and the new developing style of jazz. He was kind of like the incubator for so many jazz musicians, and some people call him the grandfather of jazz. Over 150 people went on to have careers in music after playing in his band. See, this is what we need. We don't need someone being like, yes, I created yeah. this. You need someone who's teaching what they know and then mm -hmm. creates a whole bunch of other people who are fantastic. Yeah. That's what you need. And it's also a huge like 
early predecessor in a way in the way that it like ignored segregation laws because that's kind of what jazz is known for too like right. a lot of the top jazz band leaders were like i don't care if they're good musicians i want them in my band and that like kind of went against what was legal at the time so like that's an early predecessor to that too i love when people are like wow that law is stupid and these people have talents and mm-hmm. and and souls and and feelings and we should maybe treat them like people i just love that yeah yeah you know. so <laughs> papa jack lane was a good guy people really liked what he did i love papa jack yeah he's very celebrated as one of the like as the grandfather of jazz in 1916, a promoter from Chicago approached a guy named Al Nunez, who was a clarinetist, and a guy named Johnny Stein, who was a drummer, and they were both regulars in Papa Jack Lane's band. He talked to them about bringing New Orleans jazz to Chicago. There was already a group called Brown's Band from Dixieland that was enjoying a lot of success in Chicago, so he kind of wanted to capitalize on that success and have another band. So they started playing at a place called Schiller's Cafe under the name Stein's Dixie Jazz Band. They saw huge success and were soon offered more money to play elsewhere. Stein was the only member under contract by name, so they had a few lineup changes at this point. Nunez was swapped with a different clarinetist from Brown's band because he had conflicts with Nick LaRocca. Shocker. People had conflicts with this guy. Do you remember Nick LaRocca? No. He's the guy from the very beginning who claimed to invent a jazz and then turned racist. Oh. He sounds... He sounds troublesome. Yeah. He was... his name? The name Nick just really... (laughs) Sounds like a (laughs) douchebag. He was the de facto leader of the Stein Band at this point. A theater agent saw them and convinced them to play in New York. So in 1917, they, with with the help of the great Al Jolson landed a residency playing at Ryzen Weber's Cafe in Manhattan. At this point, they were known as the Dixie Jazz Band, or the original Dixieland Jazz Band. Isn't that Tennessee? Dixieland? Yeah. I, don't th- I think it's just the South. Dixie is just the South. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Remember, because Stephen Foster had the song Dixie way back in minstrelsy time that Abraham Lincoln called his favorite song? Wow. And it was the Confederate anthem. Tennessee was involved in the Confederacy. It's true, but we weren't the only ones. Anyway, Al Jolson, who helped them get that residency, he's our next bonus episode, and I'm excited to talk about him. Yay. Several other jazz bands had played in New York by that point, but they were a part of traveling vaudeville shows. The original Dixieland jazz band were the first to stay there. Shortly after arriving in New York, the band recorded two songs for the Victor Talking Machine Company, the Livery Stable Blues and Dixieland Jazz Band One Step. In May 1917, these songs were issued as a novelty, but were a surprise hit. They were the first ever recordings of a jazz song. For the first time, all of America could get a taste of jazz. Here is Livery Stable Blues. This one is interesting because they use their instruments to mimic the sounds of animals. That's why it's the stable blues. Like you can like, there's one that sounds exactly like a horse coming up. A brass band gone crazy. (laughs) 
sounds like a voice. I don't know, I thought it was coming up. There you go. That was the horse. All right, that's library stable. That news. was just so much fun. See, this is the thing. Like, this was the first recording of jazz music. So, if Nick LaRocco wasn't such a jerk, they would have a whole lot. Like, they would be known. Well, they're still known, but like, they would have a lot more sway over being like, "Yeah, we were the original jazz band," because like, mm-hmm. they had the first recording. But they didn't invent jazz, so he just took it way too far. (laughs) Anyway, the success of these records started the New Orleans jazz craze. Other bands were quickly brought in to try and capture that sound. The New Orleans jazz... The sound of animals. (laughs) No, just that sound of jazz. Yes, um, we're trying to have the the closest sound to a pig eating. (laughs) People were really loving it. Go! You want to give that a second take? You want to? No, I thought it was <laughs> great the first time I did All it. Right, Thank fair. you very much. The New Orleans jazz style was a hit. This is why LaRocca claimed to have invented jazz. The band continued to play in New York and have success there for a while. Band members left and launched other popular jazz groups. But I'm not going to track all that because it doesn't matter. Really, it's kind of unfortunate that they have the first jazz recordings. See, <laughs> the original Dixieland jazz band featured all white players. I did notice that. Yeah. And jazz was born out of and spoke to African-American culture primarily. At this point, record companies largely ignored African-American musicians, with a few exceptions like Burt Williams, who we talked about in the vaudeville episode. So it took a white group to launch this inherently African-American music into the mainstream. And that's kind of sad. But it's good that they did. But it's sad that they had to. There's a legend that in 1915, an African-American player from New Orleans named Freddie Keppard was playing in New York. Victor offered him the chance to record his music, which would have been the first jazz recordings. But he turned it down because he didn't want others to steal his sound. Wow. So the That's all-white dedication. group. Yeah. So the all-white group became the first to record jazz music, and then everyone stole their sound. But they stole it from other people. So I don't know what Jazz, depending on who you ask, is all about improvisational ability and high energy. The Dixieland Jazz Band lacked improvisation, but they definitely had high energy, which was a huge surprise to the general mainstream that wasn't expecting it. What? Why? We'll talk. We'll get there. A jazz historian stated, quote, These songs by the ODJB were terrific, expressive tunes that changed popular music overnight. The impact of their syncopated approach can only be compared to records by Elvis Presley in the mid-1950s. Basically, like, these records were so much more high energy than things that were going around at the time. And they were just, like, wild and crazy and inspired dancing, which wasn't great morally at the time. How dare they dance? (laughs) Dancing is illegal here. Yeah, so... This is the town from Footloose. Sort of. So, like, imagine the town from Footloose, and then a jazz record falls in the middle of it, and all these people are just like, what is happening? (laughs) What is this stuff? (laughs) So, they were also the first band we know of to use jazz in its name, and a number of their songs became early jazz standards. That's crass. (laughs) Yes. They were unconventional, challenged the musical norms, and had wild stage antics, like playing instruments with their feet. What? (laughs) (laughs) LaRocco said, quote, Jazz is the assassination of the melody. It's the slaying of syncopation. A little dramatic, but all right. 
They were outsiders in the musical world and played off of that, kind of like early punk and rock stars would do. All of this made them a curiosity to the mainstream who weren't expecting this kind of rebellious energy, and it made them super popular (laughs) with the younger people. (laughs) Of course, they weren't the only ones doing this kind of stuff. African-American jazz bands also were, but they were popular because of their recordings. So, like, they were able to be heard on a wider audience because they were able to record music. And also, white people could go to their shows. They introduced the world to jazz music and the term jazz by having it in their name. They performed in England in 1919, which helped jazz go international, before they eventually disbanded in 1920. The original Dixieland Jazz Band didn't invent jazz, but they did more than perhaps anyone to popularize it. They pushed it into the public's eye. A lot of people claim they stole the music from African Americans, which I guess is true in a sense, but I take a little bit more merciful view on them than a lot of people. Because some of the members, especially from the original lineup, were also around New Orleans playing with Papa Jacqueline's band and listening to the birth of this new style. The beauty of New Orleans at that time, and still now, was how diverse and non-segregated it was. Music would drift in and out of homes, spilling into the street. Everyone was involved in it. It's not hard to imagine that these guys were around it as it was being created and fell in love with it like everyone else. Sure, they didn't invent it, but... I don't think they necessarily stole it outright. I think it's just they weren't like the menstrual performers that we talked about earlier who would specifically go to like African-American communities to steal their music. They just, it was like the style that they grew up with too. So like they, I don't know. Feels like it was also kind of their music. Might have been born more out of the African-American community, but they still just fell in love with it from their youth. Maybe the fact that they took it and made it popular and were massively successful when some of the African-Americans who were more responsible for its creation never became household names was an issue. I don't really know, but I'm kind of torn on them. Like, I can see both sides of it. Nick LaRocca, in his later years, really did a lot to hurt their reputation, so, like, that doesn't help. Uh, yeah, he, Nick LaRocca really hurt their public image for modern people. In the 1950s, he wrote angry letters to newspapers, journals, and pretty much anyone he could find demanding that he be recognized as the true and sole inventor of jazz. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Some of his claims were that he was, quote, the creator of jazz. The I am blessed by God. Hold on. This, oh this one's my, my favorite, probably. Okay, the next. These next two are I'm pretty so great. Sorry. I'm so sorry I interrupted you. Start over. Okay, so he has three claims we're going to say here. Okay. The creator of jazz. Cool. Pretty mild in comparison to what's coming. The Christopher Columbus of music. Wow. <laughs> the most lied about person in history since Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm like, oh, he had to throw that caveat in there because he knew. He's like, oh, that one's a little bit. People really <laughs> are going to believe that. <laughs> yeah, so he just, he built up to it. <laughs> I think my he favorite, jumped from Christopher Columbus to Jesus. I think the, the Christopher, Christopher Columbus, Columbus of, music. of music is really funny. It's a unique one. He discovered something that already existed, <laughs> so it stole it from the really native community. <laughs> God, that's funny. When when Larocco worked with an author to write a book about the band, he claimed to have founded the original Dixieland Jazz Band in 1908, and was completely dismissive of all of the other members. Which is just like patently untrue. He didn't found it. He was a later addition to the band. He was in Brown's band when this one was whatever. He also said what has become probably his most famous quote. 
I'm so excited. Oh, boy. My contention is that the African-Americans learned to play this rhythm in music from the whites. The African-American did not play any kind of music equal to white men at any time. Okay. He didn't, he didn't use the word African-American. I substituted that for it. Thanks. Less nice word. That quote really soured his reputation among a lot of the community, claiming that like African-Americans never played any music equal to white people, which is absurd, but oh well. By all accounts, Nicola Rocca should be considered massively important in the foundation of jazz. Perhaps more than anyone else, he made it popular. But his antics later in life and his attempts to rewrite history have essentially blackballed him. No one in New Orleans remembers him. He is overlooked in the history of jazz. And I'll let you decide whether or not that's a good thing on your own. I think it's karma. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Starting in 1920, America entered the jazz age. The pro prohibition saw the birth of speakeasies, which really exploded jazz music. The older crowd hated jazz and saw it as immoral. Henry Van Dyke, who was a professor of English literature at Princeton, said, I bet you could professor of English literature at Princeton is going to really love jazz, right? I'm so excited to hear what he has to say. He said, quote, it is not music at all. It's merely an irritation of the nerves of hearing, <laughs> a sensual <laughs> teasing of the strings of physical passion. See, he, he likes it. That's why he's <laughs> using sensual. Sensual passion. <laughs> he feels guilty about the fact that he <laughs> likes it. He that is definitely what's happening. He also said, quote, he called it an unmitigated cacophony, a species of music invented by demons for the torture of imbeciles. This guy knew how to insult music, though. <laughs> like, <laughs> so that's where I'm going to leave jazz for now. We're just <laughs> we just talked about just roast it, yeah, just totally roast it. <laughs> talked about the birth of it. Next week we're going to look at the jazz age and. We're going to talk about how it like got popular and what made it get popular and what it was like when it was popular. So yeah. I'm very excited. That's the birth of jazz. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> jazz is crazy. So I think it's cool. Like I think it, it's people call it like the first or like, they call it like America's music. America's classical music is what jazz is called because it's like came from American roots. I like it. Yep. All right, well. What a ride. I don't have any correction corner, so. Anything else you want to add before we're done here? Stay safe, everyone. Yep, stay safe. All right, we will see you guys next week to talk even more about jazz. Woo!